All right, good morning and welcome. I'm Cameron. I'm one of the teaching pastors here. It is a glorious day for us as we participate in Matt's ordination. And what a gift Matt and his family have been to our church. When Matt Sowers uh, was our youth pastor and was moving on, and we wondered, how in the world do you replace a Matt Sowers? Well, you don't. You, you have to just do something else. And so Matt O'Sullivan was our, our pastoral intern. The Lord had brought him to us, and he was in seminary. We have had the joy of seeing him get married and have a, a wonderful little boy named Bennett who's dressed a lot like me right now, except he's got a onesie. I don't. And, and there's another child on the way. And what a gift it has been to see the Lord at work in Matt and Kate and Bennett's life and how they have been a blessing to our church. So what a gift it is to ordain them today. So Matt, if you would come stand on the other side of this microphone. And then I want to call the elders up to stand over here with me. And then Cliff Daniel, who's a teaching elder in our presbytery. Cliff and I actually had a couple of seminary classes together. So it's interesting he'd agree to do this with me. Um, no, just kidding. He is the pastor of Cherokee Presbyterian Church in Canton, and uh, thank a whole lot of him, and it's just been a great gift, his friendship, and then to just have him participate in this, so I'm going to turn it over to him. Here to participate in this ordination service, uh, I am a member of the Credentials Committee of our Presbytery, along with Robbie, and we have had the privilege over the last several years of going through the trials of ordination. With Matt, and it is called the trials of ordination for a reason, because it's it's not easy. Matt has taken a series of exams, at least six of them, six written exams, and then he had to be examined again by a group of people who asked him all sorts of questions. So if you have any theological question, you can definitely direct it his way, and there's no doubt in my mind he'll be able to answer it. And then he had to stand before the entire presbytery. And, ask, and be asked other questions as well. So he has been well-trained, and he is well-examined, and he is a wonderful young man, and I can't say that enough. You have a man who is committed to preaching and pastoring his guts out, spending and being spent for the sake of Christ, and it is a privilege to participate in this, and it's a privilege for all of us to be here to witness it. So I have some questions for you, Matt. Do you believe the scriptures of the Old and New Testaments as originally given to be the inerrant word of God, the only infallible rule of faith and practice? Do you? Yes. Do you sincerely receive and adopt the confession of faith and the catechisms of this church as containing the system of doctrine taught in the Holy Scriptures? And do you further promise that if at any time you find yourself out of accord with any of the fundamentals of this system of doctrine, you will, of your own initiative, make known to your presbytery the change which has taken place in your views since the assumption of this ordination vow, do you? Yes. Do you approve of the form of government and discipline of the Presbyterian Church in America in conformity with the general principles of biblical polity, do you? Yes. Do you promise subjection to your brethren in the Lord? Yes. Have you been induced, as far as you know, of your own heart, to seek the office of the holy ministry from love to God and a sincere desire to promote his glory in the gospel of his son? Yes. Do you promise to be zealous and faithful in maintaining the truths of the gospel and the purity and peace and unity of the church, whatever persecution or opposition may arise unto you on that account? Yes. 
Do you engage to be faithful and diligent in the exercise of all your duties as a Christian and a minister of the gospel, whether personal, relational, private, or public, and to endeavor by the grace of God to adorn the profession of the gospel and your manner of life and to walk with exemplary piety before the flock of which God shall make you overseer. This church as an assistant pastor agreeable to your declaration when accepting their call? And do you relying upon God for strength promise to discharge to it the duties of a pastor? Yes. Well, there are vows that also need to be taken by the session of this church. And vows are important. We live in a world where vows are kind of regulated, just relegated off to the sideline. Many people see them as insignificant, but God says that he will hold us to our vows. And so vows need to be taken not only by Matt, but also by the members of the session. So brothers, do you, the session of this church, continue to profess your readiness to receive Matt, whom you have called to be your assistant pastor? Do you promise to receive the word of truth from his mouth with, with meekness and love? And to submit to him in the due exercise of discipline? Yes. Do you promise to encourage him in his labors and to assist his endeavors for your instruction and spiritual edification? Yes. Do you engage to continue to him while he is your pastor that competent worldly maintenance which you have promised and to furnish him with whatever you may see needful for the honor of religion? And for his comfort among you. Yes. Amen. All right, Matt, if you would come here and kneel, please, sir. Uh, and uh, any who is ordained uh, deacon or elder, you can lay hands uh, as part of this prayer. I'm going to call Dr. Bruce Lowe forward. Uh, Dr. Lowe is a seminary professor at RTS and one of my favorite, Matt's favorites, uh, Cliff's favorites. And so it is a great joy and an honor to have him uh, come and do the prayer for us. And like I said, he's the one that told me I needed a joke or three in my sermons. <laughs> they, they couldn't be all gas, no break. So he, you can thank him for that. Uh, and so, Bruce, I'll turn it over to you. No worries. Well, what a wonderful day this is. Uh, what a wonderful privilege and opportunity it is for me to pray. I'm actually going to read a passage of Scripture that I think sums up so many things that I would love to pray for Matt here. So let me begin by reading that passage, and then we'll pray. It's from Acts chapter 4. Um, Peter and John have just been released, being warned not to preach the gospel. And it says, On their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all the chief priests and elders had said to them, when they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heavens and the earth and the seas and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father, David. Why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain, anointed one? Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had de decided beforehand should happen. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant Jesus. 
after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. Let's pray together. Father, what a joy and privilege it is to be here today. And Lord, there are many things that we can pray for as a people, but we want to focus our prayers right now specifically on Matt and this wonderful occasion of his ordination. Lord, how we thank you and praise you for our brother. We thank you that he has been ordained into the ministry, and it's a ministry, even as that word suggests. It is a work of service towards others. And so, Lord, I pray first and foremost for our brother that he would be a servant of everyone. We know, Lord Jesus, you say that the greatest, the person who would be greatest must be the servant of everyone. So first and foremost, before everything else, we pray that of our brother, that he would be a servant to others. Lord, we think about the passage that we've read here, and Lord, we love the fact that it includes so many things that we would love to pray for Matt. Lord, first of all, when the people are let, when Peter and John are let free, they go back and they tell everybody else and they include everybody else. Lord, my first prayer for Matt is that he would always be a person of your body, that he would not be so proud as to stand apart from the people, but he would be among the body himself and include others. Lord, we thank you as well in this passage that the next thing that they do is include you. Lord, we know that so many times when difficulties arise in our life, the first thing we do is lay out on the table our options. And thank you, Lord, that in this passage, that's not what happened first, that they came before you in prayer. They lifted up their voices. And so I would pray for Matt, too, that he would always be a man of prayer. And Father, thank you, too, that they knew Scripture. Lord, that they could quote from Psalm 2 directly and apply it. And we pray that that would be true for Matt always as well. We thank you that they were conscious of their times, that they spoke of what Herod had done and the implications, and we pray that Matt will be a person of his times as well, always. Always able to relate into the world and to reach out into the world. Father, we thank you that they prayed specifically, that they asked for specific things, that they were people of faith, who, whose arm is not short, who comes down and works in this world. And Father, my sincere prayer is that Matt would always be that man, a man who believes in your power at work in the world. Thank you that they wanted not their own names to be lifted up, but your name, Lord Jesus. And we pray that for, too for our brother, that that would always be his priority. Lord, we thank you that they were filled with the Holy Spirit. The place where they were was shaken. They were filled with your spirit and enabled to preach boldly. And Lord, lastly, that is what we want to pray for our brother right now that you, he would always be full of your spirit, that he would therefore have the love of Jesus filling his heart to overflowing, and that, Lord, he would always proclaim your word boldly to others. Lord, lastly, we think of Kate. We thank you for her. We thank you for her wonderful support to Matt. We thank you that so many of us know that when Matt talks about himself, so often he is talking about Kate in the same breath. And so we thank you for the wonderful support that she is. We pray that she would be a blessing to him and he might be a blessing to her and their family and their relationship together might model Christ and the church. We pray for the birth of their little one that's coming that would happen at a great time, that it would be smooth birth 
and that they would have the joy of celebrating new life. Lord, thank you again. Our prayers have been requests in specifics, but overall our great prayer is just to thank you for being our Lord and God. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 If you would rise. Cliff. Matt, as a representative of this presbytery, I now pronounce and declare that Matt O'Sullivan has been regularly elected, ordained, and installed as a pastor in this church, agreeable to the Word of God and according to the Constitution of the Presbyterian Church in America, and that as such he is entitled to all support, encouragement, honor, and obedience in the Lord. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen. And we give you the right hand of fellowship. Amen. We are grateful to be able to do that, to have somebody come. We'll get to do this again, hopefully, with Chris Blackman in September. Uh, It'll be a great gift to see him ordained for ministry at KSU. All right, if you would be turning in your Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. Uh, And this will serve as a charge to both Matt and the session and and the rest of you. Uh, And this is is, um, important that we hear these words. It's important that we recognize some of the things that Matt is going to face uh, in his call to ministry and to be able to love and care for him. So as you're turning there, let me give you the key truth that I want us to walk away with. It's this. In all things, suffer well for Christ Jesus by remembering that he is risen and reigning. Let me say that again. In all things, suffer well for Christ Jesus by remembering that he is risen and he is reigning. If you would, give your attention to the reading of God's word. This is 2 Timothy 2, 1 through 13. You then, my child... Be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men, who will be able to teach others also. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits, since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules." It is the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. But the word of God is not bound. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. The saying is trustworthy, for if we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we also will reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself." 
This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now, as we step into this, there's two aspects that I want us to see. There's the sobriety and the joy. There's the sobriety that comes with the call to pastoral ministry, but then there's also the great joy. I don't want it to sound like, hey, you've probably made a terrible mistake here, Matt. Uh, but no, there has to be a soberness to this calling, and that's what Paul is doing here for Timothy. In fact, we would do well to back up a couple of verses to get the context, a little more of the context, because he says, you then, my child. That you then means it's coming from something contextually. So Paul says, beginning in verse 15, you are aware that all who were in Asia turned away from me, among whom are Phagelus and Hermogenes. May the Lord grant mercy on the household of Onesiphorus, for he often refused and found me. May the Lord grant him to find mercy from the Lord on that day, and you well know all the service he rendered in Ephesus. So the context for Paul is he's been abandoned by everyone really except for Jesus. And so he then turns to Timothy and says, now listen, this is what you're getting yourself into. You need to be sober about this because it's going to cost you. It is going to hurt. You are going to suffer for the cause of Christ. And I don't want you to be ignorant of that. I don't want you to have not counted the cost as you are stepping into this and recognize that it's costly. In fact, there was an article just this week in Christianity Today, uh, the title of the article's the article is, Our Pulpits Are Full of Empty Preachers. Now, that's not exactly a rousing read from what it says, but it had this paragraph that was penetrating. And I think you need to hear it. I think Matt needs to hear it. And we need to recognize one of the greatest weights on any pastor as he steps into the ordained ministry. And this is coming from a man named Jonathan Dodson, who is a pastor in Austin, Texas. And just he, he ended up having close to a nervous breakdown with all that was going on with COVID and just all of the wear and tear of relational ministry. He says, one of the real hard things for pastors across the country is that our, our role tends to be treated as relationally disposable. He goes on. As if that weren't enough. We value pastors when they give us what we need or want, but when we think we need something else, suddenly they're inhuman. They're a religious commodity to be unsubscribed from. Now, that's the sobering aspect of things, right? Is that we, we are in a, a relational ministry that often finds itself to be but a commodity, it gets reduced to a commodity. And by the way, we do it back to y'all at times, right? Like pastors sometimes treat the flock as a commodity. And, and this is something I would warn Matt of. Don't ever, ever look at the people as, as in service to you. No, their calling is in service to Jesus. And that is what we are to help them do. That is Paul's great challenge to Timothy. He's basically saying, look, even though you know some of the people that you invest in are going to walk away from you. They will abandon you in your darkest hour. They will kick you when you're down. Uh, they, they will just ignore you. You will be but a commodity. You still have to invest in them. You still must make disciples, even though some you will know by name. I think it's interesting that Paul actually uses the names of these two men. They would have been known to Timothy. And it meant that it hurt Paul in a very particular and personal way. Regardless. You have to give away what you've been entrusted with. You have to use the talent that you've been given to help build up the kingdom. It is not yours to use for just yourself. So you don't commodify them and help disciple them. So maybe they won't commodify you, but they sure might suffer. 
when he needed somebody to pray for him and with him in his darkest hour in Gethsemane, what happened to the three people, the people that he tasked? Hey, can you at least just be praying for me? What happened when he found them? What were they doing? Fast asleep while he is in agony. But notice the goodness of the Lord. The people who failed to minister to him did not keep Christ from being ministered to. Who ministered to Jesus in his agony? Well, the angels came around him to support him as he was praying so hard that, that blood was coming from his pores. Praise be to God that when, and in fact, this shows up later, when we are faithless, Christ, God, the Holy Spirit is faithful. And amen. And so, Matt, it is very important that you understand that that suffering, it won't always be physical. You won't see it coming. It will be the great anguish of seeing someone you love walk away from the faith. It'll be the great grief of not being able to get a hold of somebody that you've invested in, and they won't return your calls. It'll be the great sorrow at times that comes from just the relational aspect, but it is cost you must pay because Christ paid it all. And so you must be willing to suffer with Jesus and uh, to do so in, in a way that recognizes that you don't give the increase. You have been enlisted, which Paul says here to Timothy. It's not Timothy who signed up. He was drafted, elected. And so it is for him to serve Christ first and foremost. Uh, the good soldier doesn't get tangled up in civilian affairs. Now, that doesn't mean you don't take the trash out. So don't you ever tell Kate, well, you know what Cameron said? Uh, I can't get tangled up in these civilian affairs. That is not what that means <laughs> at all. It just means that you don't get tangled up in the things of the earth. Think Colossians 3, where Paul challenges, if you're resurrected in Christ, look to the right hand of the Father. Don't get tangled up in the things of the earth. This is Matt's charge. He also must be willing to, to train, to be built up in the things. So he needs to continue in the means of grace. It's critically important that he remember he is Abba's son first and foremost in Christ Jesus before he is anything else. And that will have to be cultivated because a lot of times that narrative gets lost, doesn't it? Or other things take primacy. And so it's important that he continue to train in the things that are actually going to strengthen him. And notice what Paul said, be strengthened in the grace of Christ Jesus. Well, that grace is limitless, lavish. It never runs out. The, the, the treasure trove in heaven is full and overflowing. And so you have access to all that you need to help be built up. And the good news is there is someday going to come when you get to participate in the things you've invested in. Like he said, a farmer gets a taste of the first fruit. So there will be good days. This isn't all sobriety. There is joy. There is a joy to being able to serve with and for Christ. You don't have to. You get to. And it's important that you remember that. And so uh, he says, think over these things. So it's going to be important for you to consider these things, knowing that the Holy Spirit will give you understanding. When we pursue wisdom from God, he is, he is eager to give it to us. And to the congregation, to the session, I would say, we have to remember this for Matt. I say this not cynically, and I know it's going to sound like it's an insanely cynical statement, but ministry is a bone-grinding mill. It takes everything from you. No matter how much you put into it, no matter how hard you try, you cannot keep people from walking away. You cannot keep people from not wanting your love or the way you love or not critiquing you for all the things you don't do, even though there's not enough minutes and hours in any given day to get to any of it, hardly. We need to remember the weight that's on Matt so that we are intentional to encourage him 
Think about in youth ministry. How, how discouraging it can be to see the middle schooler that you loved and invested in and was excited about Jesus goes away to college and has a professor convince them there is no God and there is no meaning. Or somebody that you've invested in decide that they aren't what God created them to be, male or female. Or to have them chase after lovers less wild after you've seen such rich experience. You, you saw them on that retreat make a profession of faith that was palpable and good. It is hard not to grow cynical. It's hard not to say, I can make more money doing something than ain't this hard. And so we as a congregation need to recognize he needs encouragement. He needs to be built up. All of us do who are on pastoral staff. That is our challenge and task. We need to make sure that first and foremost, we pray with and for. And that we seek to encourage in various ways. Take any and every opportunity to encourage. Because the hound of discouragement is ever at the door. For all of us. Because you can't ever get to all of it. You're, you constantly feel like you're failing somebody. Whether it's God or your own family, or extended family members, or your neighbors, or the people in the congregation, or whatever the circumstance may be, it seems like the sword of Damascus ever hangs over us ready to fall. And yet, the Lord is with us. And yet, we have the opportunity to use the means of grace to bless and build up. So this is our task, and we can't wait until he is depleted. You can't wait until you see that vacant, hollow look in his eyes. Or you start to see him drift and you're wondering, hey, what happened? Well, let's not let it go that far. Let's recognize the responsibility that you and we have been entrusted with to love and serve Matt and make sure that his needs are met, not just materially, that's very important, don't get me wrong, but spiritually as well, that we check in with him, that we actually build him up and not wait till it's too late. As Hebrews would say, uh, we need to be praying for those who, who lead us because of the responsibility. We have the responsibility for your souls. That is a heavy, heavy thing. And so we, we, we need to make sure that we recognize we're not tangling him up with a bunch of silly things. That, 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 it's, it, that we're causing him to turn his gaze from the right hand of the Father to the things of the earth. This is sobering. But it is an opportunity. What a gift it is that we can be such a blessing to someone. And so this is the sobering aspect of things. There is a cost you will suffer, and in all things he is called to suffer well, and we're to help him do that. Not the suffering part, the well part. <laughs> Philip Towner says this. He says, suffice it to say that the normative way of wisdom, the Lord's way, the way of the Christian, is a life in which human beings make visible the presence of Christ in mission. Rejoice in that visibility and faithfully accept the opposition that his presence provokes. Is so costly a life worth the effort? Resoundingly, Paul is going to tell us, yes. Yes. So the thing I would ask you, Matt, and, and this is actually extended to all of us as well, is what all helps you suffer well for Christ Jesus? If you wait until suffering comes to figure out what you're going to do, you're probably too late. This is where the means of grace, the ordinary means of grace, the ordinary just, just plotting in discipleship himself, us doing the same, becomes so critical. That we not think there's a silver bullet for this stuff. There's not. 
It is the long, slow work of the Spirit uh, perfecting us as we will be glorified someday. And then, how are we helping others to suffer well for Christ Jesus? This often is a gap because, if we're honest, suffering makes us really uncomfortable. We, because we like to fix things, often don't know what to say. And we don't realize that if God didn't just up and fix it, why do you think you're going to? And if God is patient and willing to let something go on and his presence is sufficient, why would we try to do something different than what God, our Father, in whose image we are made, try to do something different? Most of these things are long and protracted. They take time and patience and faith that the Spirit is at work. And so let's turn back to the text and see in verses 8 through 13 the joy that, gets to, that we get because of the sobriety. Even though it's a sobering thing, there's a great joy to it. And then that we are to remember Jesus risen and reigning in all things. Paul picks back up and he says, Remember Jesus Christ risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. So Paul is able to say, look, I'm not telling you about an ocean. And one of the reasons that so many people fled from Paul is they took his imprisonment to churches that were exciting and had a bunch of programs and a lot of stuff going on. Some dude in prison, like going to visit him, and uh, that's not exciting. That's not very, uh, a very fun thing to do. And so they looked at it the same way we do. They had a commodified view of ministry just like we do. You're only successful if you've got lots of numbers and lots of money and a building and all this kind of stuff. Is that true? Absolutely not. And in fact, sometimes the greatest success you're going to have is winnowing, pruning, a season of loss. And so we, we are to remain faithful either, either way. And so what Paul says, look, here's what you cling to. You need to remember. And in fact, the, the verb used here is ongoing. It's not remember once. It is an ongoing reality that must be kept ever before uh, before us. And so, Matt, you have to remember Christ risen and reigning. You have to remember that he is uh, the one who grants a, the abundant life. He is the one who reigns over it all. And as Hebrews says, even though it doesn't look like it at times, he still reigns. He is interceding and advocating and even testifying of the good that, that, that Matt will do in his ministry and life before the heavenly throne room. What a gift that is to know we have all that going on. And on the days he forgets to pray, the Holy Spirit will groan on his behalf. That didn't, that didn't give him license to not do it. It ought to empower him to do it, right? That, that's the joy. You get to do that. You, you have that power coursing through your veins, even though it don't feel like it most days. And listen to what Paul says. He, he says, this is, this is of the gospel that I have preached to you, and I'm suffering for it. I'm in jail, but I love what he says. This is the joy. But the word of God is not bound. Right? You remember, uh, it says in Philippians that he is actually evangelized a praetorian guard. The very people who are holding him hostage, he's seeing come to Christ. Would that we had that kind of mindset toward our enemies. Would that we had that kind of belief in the power of the gospel to transform the worst of the worst, right? And so remember, the word of God is not bound, not by your mistakes or failings, not by the failings of others, and certainly not by circumstance. Remember that always take great joy in it because the world can't decide what the Lord is going to do in and through you. And amen. 
And we need to remember that for him as well, that we need to help him remember, right? We got to remember we are, we are serving the risen and reigning Christ. When we forget that, we'll start, we'll start gnawing at him. We'll start critiquing him, right? We'll start having him for lunch, but he won't actually be there. And so we, we need to recognize the necessity for us to remember and help him do the same. That's when we come before each other. If you want to help somebody in the midst of their sin, way, but in a humble and broken way. And may we also have faith that the, the ministry of the word is not bound. Should Matt, God forbid, have a moral failing someday, it won't undo all the good that the Lord has done in and through him. It won't. That's critical for us to remember, especially these days with so many high-profile people falling and it's shaking the foundations of the faith of so many. No, that, should not, that shouldn't happen. I know it does. I'm sympathetic to it. But here we see the Word of God is not bound by the sin of the one who does it or any of the what's going on in the world. This is also critical to us who are so anxious and, and, and wondering what in the world's going on. How many of you are struggling because not only it feels like we just came out from under COVID and the word recession is in all caps in the air. We have a war that is threatening to have the whole world get sucked into the maelstrom. And the word nuclear is also floating in the air. That is very decentering. Is the word of God bound? Has the word of God been limited? Has the promise, are the promises of God limited? No, but we in our flesh will struggle. Let's struggle well. When we are disoriented, we need to be oriented to who God is, his character, and reoriented by what he has called us to do in faithfulness, which is one of the great things that Paul does here. He gives him this saying. Now, we're not sure if it was a prepackaged saying or a hymn or if it's something that Paul had kind of put together, but his fingerprints seem to be all over this statement, and it's helpful. I would encourage you to memorize it. If we have died with him, and that if is very important, just like in Colossians, the first thing you have to do is you have to admit who you are, who and whose you are. That's critical under every circumstance. If you don't take that first step, you've already missed a step. And so you have to confess, yes, I have died with Christ. My shame, my guilt, God's judgment toward me has been satisfied. I have nothing to be afraid of from the Lord my God so that you can run to the throne of grace every single time you need it. And you'll need it often. But also, we also live with him. What great joy it is, not just that the, 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 the situation has been rendered neutral. No, you've been empowered. The Holy Spirit dwells in you, goes with you everywhere you go, and you are filled with all the power that heaven has to offer. Now, you don't get to control it. The Spirit does what he will, but you have access to it, and he always wants to exalt Jesus. What a gift. Remember that. And then if we endure, we also reign with him. There is a great gift. There's a, a crown that I don't even understand and know how to get my head around, but I'm glad it's true, that we are not just slaves. We are sons. And we reign with him. But then there's the sobering warning, and I think this is important. If we deny him, which Christ himself said this, he will also deny us. Now, does that mean that he will say, I, I, don't, I don't know who Matt is. Matt doesn't exist. No, part of what it will be, it is you who will suffer loss by denying Jesus. Who loves you? Why would you deny him? And then he also says, if we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. And this is also critical because there's going to be days you're faithless. 
There are going to be days that, that, that you run out of gas, that you maybe even find yourself an atheist by 8 p.m. Not a permanent condition. But Jesus remains faithful, ever interceding for you, ever seeking to snatch you like a brand from the fire. So what a gift that is that our Christ is risen and he reigns. And this, to the congregation for Matt, we need to remember this and keep this ever before him. We need to make sure that, that we hear in him, if he begins to deny that we call him to repentance, if he is failing to live in light of the death of Christ, if he is allowing shame and guilt to creep back in like a dark mist, we shine the light of the risen Christ on that to push it back, all that darkness. And should he find himself faithless, let us remind him, not cast him out, not, not commodify him and cast him away as if he was a tool that failed to do what we longed for him to do, but instead to remind him of the faithfulness of Christ and emulate that by not shooting our wounded, but granting him the opportunity to rise in repentance. That may mean some changes in his job and other things, but it won't mean any changes in his status as son. Amen. And so, our Kent Hughes and Brian Chapel, in their commentary on this, say this. We must keep before us that Paul's command, remember, is a continuous command. Timothy is to remember and keep on remembering Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David. Other recollections are important, but this is the essential memory. This gospel memory constantly replayed will enable him to stand and suffer with Paul. Jesus Christ is the resurrected living Messiah. He is everything we need for life and salvation. So I ask, what helps you to remember Jesus is risen and reigning? And how might you keep that ever before you to help you cultivate? What practices, wise habits would be helpful to you here? And then how do we help him do that? How do we help ourselves do that? That's critical for us too. When we forget the risen and reigning Christ, it is easy to get distracted. Doom scroll for more than five minutes and you have forgotten the risen and reigning Christ. Too much of what we are imbibing is not helping us remember that. There needs to be some wisdom and discipline in this regard. And so... What we get from 2 Timothy 2, 1 through 13 is both the sobriety of ministry and the great joy that it is to partner with Christ to see eternal things come to pass, to see lives transformed for all eternity. What a gift that is that we're invited into this. And he is reigning. And what a gift to us as a congregation that we have the joy of coming to the table, that we are reminded of the sobriety, but also the great joy. It should, this is not a funeral service, by the way. We should not treat it as such. It is a celebration of the risen and reigning Christ. Yes, we need to handle that with sobriety. So if you are not a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, I would encourage you to let this pass you by for now. But do meditate on the risen and reigning Christ. For everyone else who makes a profession in faith and longs to grow and be nourished in that faith because of the risen and reigning Christ, please take and eat and see that the Lord is good. And so let me give you just a little bit of instructions since the way the room is set up. This side of the room is going to go to Paul and Jonathan in the back. We'll go from the last row all the way up to the first row. You will exit to the outside, cross in front of the table, and return to the inside. You got that aspect of it? This side of the room is coming to Mark and I, and you will exit to, or you'll come out to the inside, come across the table, and return on the outside. 
If you happen to get it wrong, Jesus still loves you. We'll, we'll, we'll get it fixed. But we'll go from front to back. Last instruction. You, you, you present with two hands, if you want, the bread and the juice. One hand, you get the communion MRE that has the wafer and the juice together. All right? Let's pray. Father, you are so gracious and good to supply us with so much to supply us with the, the physical and the visual and to supply us with the spiritual and, and for you to be present with us. You said that where we gather to worship, you are there. May we sense your presence. May that embolden us. May it nourish our faith. Father, I, I pray that we would recognize the great joy that it is to be a Christian, to be in Christ and have access to all the heavenly blessings and that we have things to steward that you would entrust to us Matt and his family, and you would entrust to Matt the youth ministry here. God, thank you that you are so gracious and good. May we be nourished this morning in Christ as we partake of the table, uh, and, and may we remember his goodness.